Hey, welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast. Today's Monday, December 28th, 2020. In today's podcast, I'm joined by Dr. Christy Matusiak to discuss alternative, integrated, and holistic care. Christy is a chiropractor who practices at Integrated Holistic Healthcare in the suburbs of Chicago, my hometown. We discuss her practice model and in what ways it is similar to and different from quote-unquote traditional medicine. This is a really interesting interview for me personally because I really don't know a ton about this topic, and I learned a lot from meeting her and talking to her. I'm sure you will as well. On Thursday, I'm joined by Carrie Creed to discuss the story of her complicated medical history and her pregnancies and how they inspired her to become a motivational speaker. She has an unbelievable story and an amazing attitude, and I think you'll really love hearing from her. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. Okay, welcome, Dr. Christy Matusiak. You are at Integrated Holistic Healthcare in Wilmette, Illinois. I know Wilmette very well. Christy, thank you so much for coming on Healthful Wound. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me today. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, you know, where you're from, how you got into what you're doing, and then we'll go from there. I went to college in Iowa for my undergraduate degree. So I, I, at that time, I majored in biology and psychology. And it was interesting. At that point, we didn't have the mind-body connection and holistic medicine kind of standpoint like we do now. And so people used to look at me at that time and say, you know, biology and psychology, why would you put them together? That doesn't make any sense. And apparently I was ahead of my time because I said, well, I believe that the human body is that connection. I went along. I did my thing. I ended up working at Abbott Laboratories for a couple of years right out of undergraduate program. And it was at that time that I had an interview with a different department in the pharmaceutical division. And they asked me specifically, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? And I said, well, in five years, I would really love to be in a more patient-centered environment, really helping people overcome their issues, overcoming their health problems, and really even from a preventive standpoint in a lot of ways so that ultimately they wouldn't even need the pharmaceuticals, you know, because ultimately I think if we can prevent disease from even happening in the first place, that's even better than the cure. Right. And then it was when I realized that I was interviewing at the pharmaceutical division, so that didn't really go well with them, so I didn't get the job. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, so maybe that wasn't the best thing to say, but it was a great transition for me because it was at that time that Abbott was having some big changes, and they had a big layoff, and at that time, I ended up finding chiropractic and finding some of the work that I do now with a mentor, and it was just a seamless transition. I don't know if you believe in fate at all, but it was kind of very fateful kind of circumstance. It was one of those things that was like, okay, this is now your new future go ahead and be free. What does chiropractic training entail? What do you have to do? school that I went to here in Lombard, Illinois, actually, they require, I don't believe all schools do, but I think most and many require at least some prerequisite programs. But my school ended up requiring a bachelor's degree initially as well. So you needed to come in with a bachelor's degree and then you needed a handful of specific prerequisites in the basic sciences before they have a, obviously a very rigorous basic science program in the beginning of the program. I know a lot of medicine-minded physicians would be very surprised to know that we actually have just as much, if not more, preclinical classroom than our 
MD or DO counterparts. By preclinical, you mean yeah, anatomy, physiology, and you know, so exactly forth. Yeah. anatomy, physiology, path, neurology, biochem, all that good stuff. So I mean, if you if you actually like compare hours by hours, I believe medical physicians have more in pharmaceuticals, of course, because they're the ones doing the prescribing. Whereas we have a little bit more in physiology, anatomy, and those sorts of kinds of things. We actually even have to train on doing OB/GYN exams as well as prostate exams just wow. to know how to do them. And if our, you know, if individuals wanted to pursue those as more of a part of their practice, they had the choice to do so. I didn't. It didn't seem like it was my thing. But we have that kind of training, which is pretty surprising to many people. Yeah. Okay. And then what is the clinical time frame? Like, what is it from start to finish? So it was about three and a third years straight through program. So okay. the first half, the first five trimesters were basically basic sciences. And then the latter five were more clinically based, you know, clinical examination and treatment protocols. And it was the last year that we did our internship, basically. So it was the last uh, three trimesters that we were studying in the clinic with a clinician overseeing our, our care of different patients. Right. And then when you finish, you you can go out into practice? Is, is there like a licensing? How does that work? Yeah. There are four different parts of board, uh, board examinations that we have to pass. They each have different categories, of course. I believe it's been a long time. So you're right. quizzing me on this. <laughs> okay. But I believe like the first two parts were more basic science oriented. The third part was more clinically based. And part four was mostly radiology based, if I'm remembering correctly. And you got to pass off all parts, you know. So you finished your training. And then how did you decide sort of what kind of practice type you wanted to join or to start to be doing? I wouldn't call it a mentor necessarily, but an example of what, I, what kind of doctor I wanted to be. Do you ever seen Patch Adams? I mean, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily believe in, hey, laughter is going to heal everything. But at the same time, I do truly believe that the core of medicine is connecting with your patients and developing that relationship so that you can work together to overcome whatever they are struggling with. And so frequently that can be through just a conversation in like a therapy kind of scenario. Sometimes that requires, you know, okay, obviously your nutrition isn't exactly where you want it to be. So we provide nutritional supplements or dietary consultations to get you where you need to go as far as that part's concerned. Sometimes it's exercise recommendations or homeopathy or referral out for different medications or what might be necessary for them. No matter what, though, I think our goal is the same in just connecting with the person that's in front of us and doing whatever is in their best interest. And so that's kind of what's always driven me from before I even went to school. And where did it lead you? What was your first, I guess, job or practice type after you finished training? Well, I looked at a couple different offices while I was in school. And so I saw a couple different varieties of how to practice. So there's one chiropractic physician I worked with that he, his focus was mostly in functional chiropractic neurology. So I don't know if you're familiar with that, but I mean, you have, I think it's ophthalmologic tape, like the red and white tape where you can mm-hmm. kind of like move it back and forth and see how the cadence of the eyes tracks that movement back and forth. And there's a lot of detail that went back into, he was a diplomate. So chiropractic is obviously this big umbrella. And then there's a dozen, you know, different specialties and essence, just like medical field. Mm -hmm. And so he was a chiropractic neurologist. And then there's other people that I worked with that mostly specialize in the applied kinesiology, which is what I really do most of. In that sense, it's a lot of muscle testing, making correlations and connections between different meridians and how they impact the body, sometimes even those emotional components, because every organ system has a emotion or resonance that it picks up with. So like, for instance, the lungs tend to hold on to grief. Liver is more anger-based. Kidneys are more fear and so on. And so there's a lot of those kinds of connections that neuroemotional technique is responsible for. So that's kind of an offshoot of the supply kinesiology work that either way, it's all just based on muscle testing, analyzing the nervous system to figure out the person that's in front of me 
they may have back pain, they may have diabetes, they might have headaches. Either way, I'm still just analyzing their specific neurology and going through and figuring out what's contributing to their problem. And it could be a very multifaceted kind of approach depending on what comes up on exam. And when you say you're examining, do you mean like you're examining by by asking questions, by looking at them, by actually manipulating them, you know, doing tests? What exactly does that mean? Like how do you how do you come to those conclusions? All of the above. So usually our first visit with a patient takes at least an hour most of the time, unless they're, you know, under 10. <laughs> but most people, you know, it takes about at least an hour where we go through and okay, so for instance, you you came in with back pain. Great, let's talk about your back pain. Tell me where it is, how long it's been there, anything make it better or worse, does it radiate up and down your leg or is it localized? All these basic medical questions. And then once we have a picture of the specific problem that they're in with, okay, let's move on now. Tell me what kind of exercise you do. Tell me what your diet's like on an average day. Tell me about what your job is. Do you like your job? If I gave you a winning lottery ticket right now, would you actually continue doing what you're doing? Gives me kind of a perspective of how much stress they have in their life and where their fulfillment level is. Past medical history. So we go through any surgeries they may have had, of course, any other medications or supplements that they currently take. Past history as far as their family history is concerned. And then once we get through all that picture, which usually takes probably 20, 30 minutes at least, then we kind of switch gears and go into what I call more of a constitutional history where I ask, like, you know, tell me about your mother's pregnancy with you. Like, what was life like in her world before you were even born? Because there's enough research to show now that, you know, when a woman is pregnant, everything that's going on in her life is, in essence, getting through the baby somehow. Sometimes this part of the history is very unremarkable. Oh, no, everything was great. Mom was happy. Everything was fine. And every now and then I hear some really really traumatic events that have happened to, you know, a mother when she's pregnant. And then the person sitting in front of me, it's like, that might be contributing till this day, what your body's holding on to and how it's manifesting its uh, dis-ease, so to speak. So we go through all that kind of history. And then once we've completed all those pieces of information, we go through a physical examination. I take blood pressure, of course, do some other testing as far as orthopedic exam is concerned, especially if it's musculoskeletal complaints. So we look at range of motion, we look at muscle strength, and then I start to correlate the muscle testing findings to the other big picture information that I have. If they have blood work, I look at their blood work from a functional perspective, I tend to read between the lines of blood work. So like, for instance, if somebody comes in and they say, oh, my doctor said everything is totally normal, I say, great, let me take a look at it. And if their vitamin D level is at 31, it's like, okay, that's technically normal, but let's get it up a little bit because, you know, we do have COVID happening right now. And it's been really shown in a lot of research to know that the higher vitamin D levels are within reason, the better you are equipped to fight off immune struggles. So we look at those sorts of things. And I try to really kind of create this idea of optimal function instead of just not dying. <laughs> Right. Yeah, hopefully that answered your question. It was kind of a long-winded answer. What you're describing, is that specifically related to applied kinesiology, or is that something that pretty much all chiropractors and all types of practice would be doing? Not all chiropractors do this. I would say a lot of them do. There's a large percentage of chiropractors that are strictly musculoskeletal practices. People come in for back pain, neck pain, headaches and they call it a day. The circles that I associate with primarily, we all do this sort of thing where we're really focusing on just like that whole picture of somebody's health so that in, in essence, a lot of us become primary care physicians where we're trying to be sure that, you know, you're really preventing anything bad from ever happening. And of course, we will refer out to medical doctors all the time when it's necessary. We just come from the standpoint of like, you know, we would much rather take a conservative approach 
instead of jumping to medications right away if we could, you know, deal with it and mitigate those things early on. Right. So in your own practice, right, you said that there are many chiropractors who basically 100% of their practice is, you know, back pain, neck pain, headaches, you know, mm-hmm. pelvic pain, whatever it might be. For your practice, is it a similar percentage for people who come in the door or do you have people coming in for a much wider range of issues, let's say? A very wide range. Because of the way you set up your practice and advertise and, and what you do. Exactly. And a lot of us is word of mouth at this point. And so we have people that come in for depression and anxiety. We have people that come in specifically, their chief complaint is digestive issues or GERD or colitis that nobody can figure out. You know, one of my favorite people to treat is someone who's come in and says, I've had this blood work, this blood work, this scan, this and this. And everybody says that I'm totally normal, but I still feel like junk. Right. I'm like, great. They've ruled out everything big and scary. So now we can just see what we can do from, you know, an energetic and chiropractic and nutritional standpoint. Just so I'm, I'm separating in my head for the chiropractors who they're treating purely musculoskeletal. Is it, is the therapies that they do typically also related to, you know, manipulation, massage, you know, sort of musculoskeletal hands-on type as well? Is it, are those sort of like linked? I mean, the chiropractic care that I use as well is the same in that essence. Well, you know, I will still adjust the spine. I will still manipulate and do muscular myofascial work to provide musculoskeletal effects locally and have a bigger picture. I mean, believe me, chiropractic care on its own outside of what I do is powerful enough on its own simply because you're you're adjusting certain segments, restoring mobility and and function at that level, which then allows nervous nervous system function to take place at a more optimal way, feeding muscles and feeding organs that, you know, if those things were never, if that motion wasn't restored at those segments, they could lead to issues down the road. So even without my weirdness, you know, doing Mm. extra stuff, chiropractic alone is pretty amazing. Right. Because I was thinking it it could just be, you know, that, you know, because I'm naive, but the way I always envisioned chiropractors and what they're doing is, you know, they have this knowledge and this art and this skill and people come for a certain set of complaints potentially. And the chiropractor approaches it from a certain way and has you know, techniques that have, you know, have been tested and there's a lot of, you know, data, you know, and how effective it is and whatnot. And, and that's sort of what, you know, people come in for, they get, they, they come out for and they see them either forever or, you know, temporarily or just once or twice. Fine. And yeah. what you're saying is that, you know, that's a real science and that's what people are training to do, but you're describing that plus, meaning you see people for that plus many others and you, you apply what you learned in your chiropractor training as well as more so you can see more people for a wider range and you also approach it with a wider range of therapies. How did you find that, right? When you were looking, mm-hmm. just, it just, you happened to come upon it or you just, you know, you started yourself. How did, you know, how did that happen? It was serendipitous. I described in the beginning when I was still working at Abbott Laboratories, the pharmaceutical industry. My mother at the time was, I was about to get married. I mean, if you want this whole story. Sure. At the time I was about to get married. And I had pretty large eczema patches on both of my arms. And that's really a pretty sight to see when you're about to you know, get married and <laughs> supposed to be looking all pretty and everything. And we had like nine months or something before the wedding. But my mom had met this chiropractor at, one, at her gym that was doing a uh, health talk at the time. And she said, Christy, you need to come and see this person. He seems amazing. He seems like he'd be right up your alley. You'd have a lot to talk about. And I said, okay, sure. And so I went and met with him and he told me the world of chiropractic. He told me he individually was doing this applied kinesiology technique and 
it's like I've always been interested in this like nature versus nurture kind of concept of how much of how our bodies handle things and what we manifest as far as conditions or health or diseases concerned, how much of that is what we're doing versus our genetics. So I was always interested in this kind of thing. And I swear meeting him and having him show me what he did was like, this is exactly what I always wanted, but I never knew existed at this point. And so he did some testing through the muscle testing work and discovered I had sensitivities to both wheat and dairy products. And I said, okay, those are my two favorite foods. <laughs> so, <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Right. And I was like, all right, well, you know what? I'm not sure how much I believe this yet, but, you know, we'll give it a shot. And so, I mean, I was also taking better care of myself at that time anyway. I was drinking more water. I was exercising. I was getting more sleep and cut out using dairy for a couple of weeks. And I felt really good. And I was like, great. My eczema was kind of fading. But as you probably know, eczema kind of comes and goes. It ups and flows. After a couple of weeks, I was like, you know, I'm not entirely sure if this works because I feel pretty good now. But at the same time, I'm doing all these other things at the same time. So, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to have a big plate of mastitoli and it's going to be great. Made within two hours of having that giant plate of wheat and berry bomb, I started itching like crazy all over my body. Now, it wasn't like an immediate allergy anaphylaxis kind of response, like where I was hives. It was just, holy cow, there was an immediate connection between what I ate and how my body was feeling. <laughs> and it was like, okay, maybe he was right. And so fast forward, however many, 10 years, 10, 15 years later now, I can have a few things with wheat and dairy in them now, and it's not an issue. At the same time, I also know that if I push my stress levels too high or if I just don't care about what I'm consuming on a regular basis too far, that could be a reality again. But I really haven't had a real eczema outbreak in over 10 years because of the conscientiousness and that self-awareness that I've learned because of the chiro that I met you know, however many years ago that was. What you're describing and what's in your, you know, your practice's name is a lot of people refer to it as this concept of holistic, which we were we were d discussing before it's spelled with an H and not a WH, even though it means the same thing. And yeah, I, I just, I, I was wondering if you could help everyone listening to understand, just first discuss a couple of these terms that are out there that not everyone really gets what they mean. The first I'm going to ask you about is the word holistic. The next is the word alternative. And the third is the idea of integrated. You can address those in any order you want, but those are the three that I think people sometimes use interchangeably. Sometimes they do mean the same, sometimes they don't. And just, you know, how do you view those three things, holistic, alternative, or integrated? Absolutely. That's a really good question. I definitely find that they're very, very related, but I find that there are some distinctions between the two. So I'll start with alternative. Alternative medicine, people tend to think of as an alternative to quote-unquote Western medicine. And so somebody would come in to me, if I were a purely alternative practitioner, somebody would sort of come into me with depression, for instance, I would say, instead of Prozac, take St. John's Wort. That to me is an alternative approach. Right. If we're doing an integrated approach, that same person, I might say, okay, well, let's work on your diet, let's work on your exercise, let's work on your relationships and get you into some therapy while also doing Prozac. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that last person in the holistic sense is, well, let's figure out why you're depressed. That's why I, you know, when I told you kind of how I approach a person on their first visit. Right. In that holistic model, it's like we're literally looking at every ounce of every area of their life to figure out why this person at this time has this scenario in their life and how we can best approach them specifically. I mean, I see people with depression and anxiety 
all the time, and there's not a one-size-fits-all protocol or approach. It's constantly changing and evolving depending on what the person needs. That kind of makes sense as far as like the distinction between those three categories of medicine. You sort of described them almost in a hierarchy that like the lowest level is just doing something alternative, which is different, you know, from Western medicine. Yeah. You know? And then integrated is okay. We'll do something maybe a little bit different, plus a little bit traditional, so to speak. And then holistic is sort of on top, where you may do both those, you may do one of those, but you're sort of trying to get a bigger picture sense. Would that be an accurate description? You know, I don't want to think of them as in a hierarchy because actually everything has its place. Okay, fair. And at the, But at the same time, I mean, I feel like, you know, there are integrated and alternative methods within the holistic model. So like, you know, in that same example, sometimes all somebody needs is an herb or some kind of nutritional supplement. And so that in that sense is a very alternative approach. Okay, that's fair. So meaning it could be hierarchical, but it could also be yeah. just what's needed and you don't need to do anymore. Okay, I think exactly. I, that, that's fair. Now, how would someone, let's say they are seeking this out, right? They're like, okay, I've been to Fox. He's a doctor. He's an MD. Mm, I don't like what he said or whatever. <laughs> Where would they go? Like, how would they figure this out? You know, say, I want to seek a, a different approach. Would they just, you know, go on Google? Would they ask a friend? How, how do you find someone who does this who's good at it? First off, I would ask a friend to be honest with you, because I feel like there is no better way to, you know, find someone that's going to, that you're going to resonate with as far as your healthcare is concerned mm -hmm. than by p asking people that you're close to that already know you well. There are websites, however, that specifically have people like myself on them. ICAKUSA.com. That one is a really, one I use, but if I have a patient or if a patient of mine has a friend in another state or something, I can make referrals that way because I know the word is a network of practitioners that I would trust based on, I know their background and I know their level of education and training. Otherwise, I mean, if you don't necessarily find anybody in your area, as far as those things are concerned, I would just literally Google holistic or naturopathic or something along those lines, physicians in your area. And it's a pretty big field now. So I guarantee you'd hit on a handful of points. you find a handful of practitioners. And then it's just a matter of looking through their websites and feeling like, I, I really, really believe in trusting someone's own intuition on like what they see on a website. You know, something's not going to feel right. And energy gets a really bad rap. I think we may have talked about this once before. You know, it's like this weird energy concept of like, you know, who you're going to feel like you work well with or if there's energy healing done in someone's office. It gets a really weird rap because nobody can understand it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we all all know it exists because you've got kids, right? Yeah, plenty of them. <laughs> did you? Did you? Yeah, I remember four, right? Yeah, yeah. Did, did you paint any of their rooms black? Painted black? Yeah. No. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> I have no idea. I don't think I have anything to do with the colors. They didn't ask for it. <laughs> I guess that's why they didn't ask for it. But even yeah. as but even as babies, when they were babies, you wouldn't paint the baby's room black. It just doesn't feel right. Right. That definitely and seems a little so bit dark, mysterious. Exactly. So it's just, that's one of the easiest ways that I can kind of explain, you know, there's some energy healing in what I do, as well as who you're going to connect with best as far as finding somebody that you're looking for with this kind of work. It's just going to be a really personal decision. Right. And I want to ask you a question, and, and I'm going to premise this question for you and also for our listeners, that this question is not specific to either holistic or alternative care providers, because the exact same question is totally relevant to you're sitting across from, you know, an MD or a, a DO is, I think a lot of people have hesitation or concern that when they see the person, they're not going to know what they're doing, right? They're just going to be like selling something or they're going to be sort of, you know, talking this, you know, hocus pocus and, 
they don't buy again the same is totally true for medicine as well that there's people who do that and it's hard to figure out who they are but how would someone you know they, they make the appointment they see someone he or she seems you know, really nice and kind and the office is nice and they sit down and they start talking about you know their energy and they start talking about this and i want you to try this herb and let's do this and let's try this and is it just like well like what the hell try it and see if it works or is there a way that someone could even figure out if this makes any sense to them yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, on one level, it's about how it feels to the person. Mm-hmm. If they feel like it's going well and if they're seeing good results, then great. And I would never throw any of my colleagues in the profession under the bus mm-hmm. in any sense at all. However, I do know that you know there are some chiropractors who literally, they have such a protocol that it's not necessarily specified to each individual person. And so... That to me is always a red flag. If if you go in somewhere and you feel like you're being treated like a number where everyone around you is doing the exact same rehabilitation, everyone around you is getting the exact same care, that to me is a red flag that it's just not specific to what you may need. That's a really good point. And uh, the same would totally hold true when you're seeing medical doctors. Yeah. If everyone's getting the same treatment, exactly. the same the same pill, the same operation, the same whatever. You know, unless, you know, he or she's a specialist in a particular operation, like, you know, obviously, exactly. you know, then yeah, that, that seems to be a red flag as well. So that, that's good advice. And anything else? I also, I mean, I say the words, I don't know a lot mm-hmm. and I'm perfectly comfortable with that because if someone comes in and they have their long list of symptoms or issues, I may have a great picture of what I think might be going on with them at first. And then we go to the exam and there's a lot of different things that I would expect that come up. I would be the first person to tell them, you know what, I'm not entirely sure. Well, I don't have the clearest picture necessarily right away of what we're doing here. Sometimes I do, and that feels really great. And there's other times that we don't. And I feel like being honest and upfront with your patients is just really, really important so that it becomes a partnership and saying, you know, like, we're going to try X, Y, and Z for, say, three weeks. And if we don't see any difference in three weeks, we either got to change our approach, get new imaging, get more blood work, do a referral out, see something else. But like, I'm not going to string somebody along and say, oh, we just need to come in more frequently, more frequently and for a longer period of time if we're not at least seeing some kind of change in their physiology within a short period of time. Right. This is golden, by the way, because I, I, I totally, totally agree with you. It's It's such a hard proposition for people to figure out, is this doctor, is this provider, is this caregiver good, right? How would you know? It's mm-hmm. impossible. Like you can know if they're, you know, if their office is clean, you can know if they run on time, mm-hmm. you can know if they're friendly, you know, you can maybe see if their degrees are impressive or not, which is again, mm-hmm. not all that helpful. I mean, whatever. Right. And so, and it's true, you go see a doctor, I have no idea if they know what they're talking about. It's very hard. And so you have to look for these clues sometimes. And I think what you said is so true that I don't think I've ever met a good doctor who does not say to their patients all the time, I, I don't know, I have no, you know, uh, let's figure it out. I'm not sure. Or, and and this idea of, you know, we'll try this, we'll see if it works, we'll revisit that type of collaboration that we're going to figure this out together. We're going to see how, you know, I'm going to, we're going to try something, you're going to give me feedback, we're going to, you know, come to the same place together is really a good sign. And people who are quite dogmatic or always have the answer or are just very sure of themselves, maybe you hit the jackpot and found the one who knows everything, but that's probably not Mm -hmm. the case. And I think that that's just so true. I mean, for me, you know, when patients ask me about, you know, that they're thinking about, or they are, or they might see uh, another provider, let's say they're not a, a medical doctor, they're doing something alternative, let's say, 
I'm open to it. I'll say, fine, like, great. Let's see if they can be helpful and see what they say. And if they, you know, recommend something that seems reasonable and not dangerous or crazy, right? Okay, try it. You know, like you said, it's going to work or it's not going to work. I mean, it's, it's, if it works, fantastic. That's really helpful. And I think that it's right. Sometimes people get very, I don't know, it's, it's, I don't know if they're protective or if they're defensive. It's, it's just a very weird vibe that sometimes doctors will give off that if you, pick up on that, make note of it. I feel like I've told family members this before when they say, you know, well, I would want to get a second opinion, but I don't want them to be upset about that. If, if, if you're, I feel like if your doctor is not okay with you getting a second opinion, there's something wrong. Oh yeah. <laughs> because that's, a, that's a bad sign. I feel like that's a really bad sign. It's like, you know, if you're, if the idea that you're questioning something that they're recommending makes them feel uncomfortable, then there's a reason for it. And so someone says, hey, I might want to go see an acupuncturist. I want to cover some of this information with my medical collector. I say, great, take them all the information, do all the research you want, and come back and let me know what your thoughts are. And if someone's not okay or comfortable with that, there might be another red flag. Yeah, uh, totally agree. So let, let's say someone has never been to a quote-unquote alternative provider or holistic or integrated. You know, they've only seen medical doctors. What would be your pitch to them? If you were, you know, you're doing a commercial and trying to get people to consider what you guys are all doing? What, what would be the selling points? The selling point is is really what I do is very patient-centered care. And not to say that like the Western world is not patient-centered. It absolutely can be when you're with the right practitioner. But it's really just about their experience and their journey to make sure that they find the healing in the quickest, safest, and most efficient way possible. And the way that I do that is through modalities that don't involve drugs or surgery. And so if somebody's trying to look for a modality or a system that's going to help support their body without drugs and surgery, drugs and surgery absolutely have their place when they have their place. And more often than not, we can do things without those, at least in the very beginning stages. You know, if you're 80 years old and decrepit and everything's falling apart, there might be some of those things that we can't reverse at that point. But most often, most of the time, I feel like we can do a lot of work with people without drugs and surgery. So that would be one of the biggest selling points, honestly, is just coming from a holistic perspective, get your body back in balance and just watch the miracles that it can do. Yeah. And I agree. And I I was going to ask you, but I know what the answer is about whether, you know, I mean, it's it's a softball question. Is it better for people to see someone in Western medicine or alternative? And obviously it's, it's a combination. It depends on the circumstances and and the ideals. Everyone's working together. And I wanted to ask you about that because I know when we, we spoke a couple of weeks ago, just when we first met and we were discussing this idea that everybody knows the problem with fragmented care, that you have one person who takes care of your arm and one person who takes care of your eye and one person who takes care of your you know, liver and, you know, you know, you have 65 different people who take care of you and they don't speak to each other and they have nothing to do with each other. And that's true across all, you know, areas, you know, whether it's Western medicine, yep. alternative medicine, you know, just because someone's a chiropractor or an acupuncturist, that doesn't mean they're going to speak to the other one, right? It's the same problem potentially. And how do you, right. how do you see that in your daily practice? Like wh- when does it come up and how do you address it? Yeah, so like you nailed it exactly how I would have described it. I, I kind of call it like outsourcing body parts to different practitioners. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, you've got one doctor who takes care of your GI stuff, one doctor who takes care of your cardiac stuff, one doctor who takes care of your foot, you know. And it's like, okay, you know, I want to be the person that kind of 
thinks of you as a whole person walking into my office instead of just one of these little parts here and there. At the same time, that exact same thing happens in alternative circles as well. The homeopath doesn't talk to the acupuncturist, who doesn't talk to the chiropractor, who doesn't talk to the naturopath, and it can get just as out of hand in my world, so to speak, versus your world. And I think that bottom line is just, like I said, coming from that patient-centered approach where it's like, this is you. And while like, I will never tell someone, don't go see your acupuncturist. But at the same time, if somebody comes in and they're literally seeing six different practitioners, it's like, you, something must be missing here. It's like, if you're seeing six different people for a similar part of this condition and you're still not feeling well, one of us is missing something. Right, right. You need to take a step back. Yeah. And so is that what you do? You sort of like, you know, some people say you quarterback it or you oversee it. Is that is that what you do in your own practice? It depends. Certain people, I would say, I kind of quarterback that and am kind of like the middle hub to keep everything together. And in other scenarios, other practitioners fill that role, and I focus more on their musculoskeletal work, and that's what they choose me for, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. So it's really just dependent on the individual and what other practitioners are involved in the care. Got it. If I could focus for a moment, because uh, this podcast is related to women's health specifically, who are the, the, the women, whether pregnant or non-pregnant, who seek out your care and that you and that you treat? I treat, well, I treat a ton of women, first of all. It's one of my favorite groups of people to treat, really, especially with regards to their families. I really enjoy treating a woman when she's in pregnancy because, let's face it, pregnancy is really hard on your body, especially physically speaking. Once you start to have some of those hormonal changes and relaxing gets to kick in, you know, people are uncomfortable. And so when I start to work with a woman during pregnancy, I can keep her more comfortable and maintain their energy as well as ease the discomfort and frequently help support labor and delivery being faster and more comfortable. I mean, labor is still going to suck no matter what, <laughs> how you say it. I mean, it then tends to be just be a little bit easier on their body and a little bit quicker than those who have not had chiropractic care throughout their pregnancy. There's also practitioners, so speaking of like how, for instance, a pregnant woman would find somebody that does this kind of work. Outside of the muscle testing area, there are specific chiropractors through, I believe the acronym is ICPA. It's like the Chiropractic Pediatric Association. And they specifically, and I've been trained in that technique as well, we use a technique called Webster's Technique to make sure that the woman's pelvis is appropriately balanced and open and ready for delivery. And when those things are balanced, things like breach, transverse positions, are less likely to happen. And so if somebody comes in and they're breached and they're trying to avoid a cesarean section, we can go ahead and do some of those techniques and hopefully turn the baby without basically just avoiding a C-section. So that's that's that kind of world. And then of course, I, I have a special service that I love and it's, I'll admit it's a little selfish because after seeing a woman for nine months of their pregnancy, I want them to totally disappear and never come back. And I want to meet the baby. And so I always always offer to treat the baby for free when they've come in for their first postpartum appointment because I also know birth can be pretty traumatic. And so when the baby comes out, depending on what drugs the mom has had during their delivery, if they've had anything or if they had any, if any parts got stuck, I mean, you know how that goes. It can be pretty traumatic depending on what happens. We'll go through and treat the baby and kind of clear out some of that trauma to their nervous system so that it can improve colic, it can improve their sleep quality, their ability to nurse well the amount of spit up that they do. I mean, there's all sorts of things that are so common in infants that I've seen firsthand just be gone after one treatment. So the earlier we can intervene, as far as that's concerned, I know a lot of people see a lot of benefit right away. And what has been the response uh, that you can tell from the local 
you know, obstetricians and midwives whose patients come to you? I mean, because you don't work with an OB. I mean, th- their patients would no. come to you. What has been the response to your care for them during pregnancy? Has it been positive, negative, neutral? They don't even know. Like, how has it been? Most have been very positive. The ones that we work with, we work with a lot of midwives and then OBs in the area. And it's always been a very positive reception. I think they're always very apt and open to work with other practitioners that are going to help their patients be more comfortable because, you know, the fact is, you know, if you have a woman coming into your office when she's eight months pregnant and she's complaining the whole time, you don't want to feel helpless and like not be able to offer something. And if they're getting something somewhere else, it's going to provide them that peace and comfort and like, oh, thank goodness I'm seeing somebody else who also just has this perspective and approach, you know, a little bit of support from other areas goes a long way. Right. Plus, you know, one of the you know, unfair parts of this is you're practicing in, you know, the Midwest and we'll met the nicest people on earth. So I, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, everyone's going to be, you know, uh, collaborative over there, but uh, I don't know, East coast, not go, not always the same. Yeah, I'm not sure about New York. <laughs> yeah. Now, nah, you know, it's a, everyone here is actually, it's, it's quite nice, but uh, the Midwest is, you know, a special place where it's mostly because it's where I'm from. But uh, no, I, I know we'll met. And I mean, all these areas you're talking about, it's so nostalgic for me to hear about them. I just miss being yeah. around them all the time. And then you also took a particular interest in postpartum women. And and as I understand, you're writing a book on this topic, correct? I am, yes. So, so t- yeah, tell us about the book. It, yes. Yeah, so I was hoping it'd be done this year. Life happens sometimes and that did not that's no longer the projected date. Hoping sometime next year for sure to come out. It's essentially I don't even have a title yet. It's really just working with the postpartum woman through that journey of what her life looks like now, especially after having her first child. I know personally, I've got three boys and my first, while I knew a lot from my own chiropractic and health training, and I did a lot of research and I was a very educated person, there are just some things that you just don't know until it happens to you and you're forced to make decisions on the spot and you've got this new little person who depends on you for everything. And it was a very overwhelming time. I pretty much feel like looking back on the first couple of years of his life, I had a little bit of postpartum depression and didn't know it until he was around two. And I was like, oh, whoa, I've been in this, fa- this, this weird you know, uh, fog for the last two years and didn't really put it together until now. Well, at that point, all you can do is move forward and just make sure it doesn't happen again. And so I it just became a passion of mine between what I've seen in practice and with my own experiences with my guys that I don't, I just wanted to be able to empower women to get through that process and to get through that initial journey and the hormonal ups and downs and not knowing what to do with this little person that you're responsible for and having all these resources, but still feeling alone it can be a very isolating time, even though you're surrounded by people who want to support you. So that's kind of what the book is designed to do, is to kind of help that postpartum woman like really understand, first of all, you're not alone. It's okay to feel like a mess. And then kind of ease into how to take care of yourself and support yourself through this process, how to support your relationship, and then ultimately in the long run, how to support your growing baby to keep them healthy and you know grow the family that you're, you've been dreaming of this whole time. And is this mostly based on your, you know, training and practice or based on your own personal experiences? Where are you drawing from when you're writing this? All of the above. So a lot of it, I mean, I have a lot of patient stories that I've thrown in here. Mm-hmm. Um, some people that I've seen that literally, you know, I've had babies that have been in my office, like I said before, that we've reduced colic and those sorts of things. So I've got some scenarios, examples of people in my practice that I've seen 
their benefit from not just care, but then like some of the recommendations that I've made on how to change this or change that. And then just knowing what's worked for me. I know not everything will work for everybody. That's why everybody's so different and unique. And that's what makes it's so interesting, you know, but just the com- combination of sharing my own experiences and my patients' experiences and the research of what I've done up until now to ideally support someone that's going through this time. Right. I'm curious what your experience has been in the, you know, for women who are in the first, let's say, you know, zero to six months after birth. Now, I- I'm sure that, you know, in a holistic sense, it would include both you know, mental and physical struggles. But I'm curious, what do most people come to you for? Do they say I'm having physical pain and then you sort of unwrap that it's physical and mental? Or do they come and saying, I don't feel right, I feel sad, I feel depressed, and then you find out it's both, you know, physical and mental. Like where do they come in? That is a great question. I would say it's fifty fifty. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. I find it's really dependent on where they have their self-awareness mostly. So a lot of people, a lot of women tend to identify more with their body Mm -hmm. and they recognize my body does not feel right ever since birth. And I feel, you know, I I still haven't lost this weight or I haven't lost this and now I've got this and my back still hurts and my, you know, they might have that body-centered approach where other women just feel like their life is falling apart around them and they can't keep it together. And most of the time, there's an element that our health is always at least in my experience, mostly three-dimensional. We've got the structural components of health. We've got the mental, emotional components of health. And we have the nutritional, biochemical components of health. And more often than not, it's the combination of all three that gives people the ideal, optimal health that they deserve. Yeah, I figured it, it, it would be very unusual for someone to come in postpartum and just, you know, physical pain. And you're like, yeah, it's 100% physical. Like, that just seems yeah. very unlikely. And, and on the flip side, someone comes in and saying, you know, I don't feel right. I don't feel well you know, my mood isn't good. And and you're like, yeah, it's just that it's it's it has to be everything. Mm-hmm. But it's just I find it that's really interesting that it's 50 50. I would have guessed more people would have come in for physical symptoms. That's been my experience that that more people mm-hmm. either like you said, they're sort of more uh, they identify with their body, maybe more than their mental health. But I think that's actually a really encouraging sign that, you know, half of your practice mm-hmm. postpartum comes in for mental health. And I think that that's yeah. great that people are aware of that. And I think that maybe that that is a good sign that what we're doing on our end in terms of educating women and you know talking about this, that they're uh, more, I don't know, in tune with it. Absolutely. I think there's been a huge movement to really focus on mental health now and spreading. So that's a really great sign. Wow, that is interesting. And then you're also doing, is it a YouTube channel? Am I correct? Is that what the kids call it nowadays? I do, yes. It's a fancy, cute name called Dr. Christy Cares. And I post a... Uh, very short, like usually anywhere between two and five minute video weekly on just a different topic about health. And so sometimes I think I've done one about headaches. I've done one about exercise, done one on toxic like home products or cosmetics and things like that. I've done one specifically on like what I do in practice. So it's all over the map. And so I try to keep it pretty, get a good variety of different topics in there. And, you know, I love it when people comment and offer different insights and new ideas of like what they'd like to hear about on there too. So if anybody who's listening, you know, would want to subscribe, of course, I would love to have you. And I'd love to hear what people want to hear about so that we can just spread the word of health as far as I can. Right. And people can also find you on your website, correct? Yeah, that is Christy Matusiak D. 
com. Cool. And I actually have a link to my YouTube channel on there as well. And um, I'm working on getting a blog together. So I'm just kind of keep putting it all together here. Like I said, the bottom line is I just want to support as many people as we can. I mean, I feel like, you know, just because, you know, you're in a different form of medicine than me, I feel like we are still all on the same team wanting to keep people healthy and do the right thing for everyone. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's one of the reasons I really wanted to do this podcast together that I think that people either, um, unfortunately, sometimes they get the correct impression, but sometimes it's the incorrect impression that doctors of quote unquote Western medicine and alternative providers or holistic or integrated care providers really, you know, are at odds with one another. And that does happen, but it's unfortunate Mm -hmm. because I think the good ones recognize the value in what everyone brings to the table, right? So I feel like I'm very well trained. I you know, went to school and did all my training. I've been practice, but I don't know anything about chiropractic work. Like, I don't know a damn thing about it. I, you know, I've never done yeah. it. It's so for me, like I would, I would be such an idiot to tell people, you know, oh, don't do it. Or, you know, like it's, it's crazy. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. enough about it. So, you know, I read about it and I try to understand and I talk to people and my patients who go, but if someone's going to see you and you're going to do something that you're trained to do and they come back and they're better, it would be crazy for me not to, you know, not to value that. And I think that for the most part, the doctors that are good and care about their patients are open to these things. We we all have different opinions about, you know, what works, what doesn't work. And it's fine because no one really knows with this stuff. A lot of it's trial and error. The idea is to really think of the person as a whole and on a higher level, everything that's going on, plus everything we can do to potentially help. And I think that that's just really, that's really interesting. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you're doing what you're doing. I think it's great. Thanks. Other things I have to bring up on this podcast, just because I'm an obstetrician. So you had a baby born in a car and a baby I, born I did, at yeah. home, right? In all the various elements, as I recall, the first one is at the hospital, the second one in the car to the hospital, and the third one at home. And you've been getting progressively farther and farther away from the hospital, from me, delivering <laughs> your babies, I mean, as far yeah. away from Fox as possible. To your point, there will not be a fourth. Um, <laughs> it would be in the middle of the forest preserve or anything like that. We're, we're good with the three boys. But yes, absolutely, 100%. The, our first experience was a very, very standard labor and delivery, and I hated every second of it. It was 44 hours worth of labor. I wanted to do everything very naturally, and you know, I just I went to the hospital too soon, and they were sorry. I said, sorry, you got to go back home. You're not far enough along. Then we went back, and I was only dilated to two, and they're like, well, you could stay in triage and at that point I was throwing up it was a big old mess (laughs) and finally when I got to five centimeters and I was able to be admitted you know I stayed stuck at five centimeters for about 20 hours and had all the standard interventions the IV the pitocin and then finally at hour 40 I broke down and was crying told my husband just cut it out I don't care I know I didn't want a c-section but I don't care now just get it out (laughs) that was what's the point where I got the epidural and magically slept for three hours for the first time in two days and went from five to 10 in a couple hours and was able to push them out, thankfully. But we just didn't want that kind of scenario a second time. And so we were waiting and waiting and waiting to make sure that it was really the right time to go. And then uh, when we were getting ready to go to the hospital with the second one, my water broke and I felt like I had to push before we left. And was like, well, we're not going to make it. (laughs) But I really much prefer that scenario than first. It was much faster, a little bit more comfortable and a lot more empowering, I got to tell you. Right. But but a little messier. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Cause... My husband had to have his car cleaned professionally, but you know, what are you going to do? Wow. And then the third one, you since the second experience was so positive for you, you planned the third one at home, correct? 
We did. Yeah, we had a group of midwives that supported us and they came to the home and it was it was beautiful. The third one was actually a much similar labor and delivery experience to my first. Oh. Being that it, it took longer. It was about 20 hours or so of labor, whereas my second was like 12, maybe. Mm-hmm. But because I was at home and I was able to walk around, I was just able to sleep and rest and do whatever I wanted and not feel like there was a clock and that external like energy shift and pressure. It was go half as long as the first and... He, it was, he was actually really, really cool. When he came out, he kind of cried really quickly first to, you know, air out his lungs like babies are supposed to do. And he then kind of just like, I feel like he looked around the room and was like, yeah, I know this place. I'm cool with this. And went straight to sleep on me. <laughs> right. It was uh, beautiful. Yeah. He said, I'm happy my room is not painted black. I'm good. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I like this nice purple hue. Very nice. Wow. Amazing. Well, Chrissy, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time and talking to us about what you do and about holistic care. I think it's awesome. And I hope people seek you out. All my friends in the Chicagoland area, hey, big shout out to you guys. She's in your backyard and you can seek her out in Wilmette, Illinois. Thank you so much. Sounds great. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman Podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.